Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Pope Francis is quoted in a March 29 article by saying, There is no hell. There is the disappearance of sinful souls. Do you agree with that statement? Or do you believe heaven is a real place? According to a Pew Research Center 2014 religious landscape study, 58% of Americans believe in hell. 72% actually believe in heaven. But it's really not a matter of what the Pope says or what Americans believe. It's a matter of what the Bible says. Is hell a real place? That's something we want to open our Bibles today and talk about and understand because we need to know the truth, not what people say or not what people believe, but the real truth from the word of God. And if hell is a real place, we need to understand what it is, what it looks like, and who's going to be there. I'm Debbie Blank with Living Word Ministries, sharing with you today some things that you probably don't hear very often from the pulpit. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Where do we go when we die? It's a very important question, and popular opinion runs the spectrum of possibilities. But the Bible and traditional Christian teaching support the existence of a heaven and a hell. While the concept of heaven is not terribly controversial, the topic of hell is another story. So when an interview with the Pope was published during Holy Week, which apparently denied the existence of hell, it set off a firestorm of international reaction, and no pun was intended there. Whenever the Pope speaks, the world listens. So whatever he may or may not have actually said about hell, the controversy has stirred up a topic of eternal importance. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The Catholics believe that the Pope is infallible, so anything that he says is as speaking of God. Well, what he said about hell goes against previous Catholic teachings. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth said in 2007 that Jesus came to tell us that he wants all in heaven and that hell, of which so little is said in our time, exists and is eternal for those who close their hearts to his love. That's a direct quote from Pope Benedict. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that the teaching of the church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. And it goes on to explain then about hell in the Catechism as listed on page 1035 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Well, what did Pope Francis actually say? According to what happened, he was having an interview from an atheistic friend that he'd been interviewed with before. So the article appeared in a publication called Republica. And what this man said was, Your Holiness, in our previous meeting, you told me that our species will disappear in a certain moment and that God, still out of his creative love, will create new species. When he said that, I thought, wait a minute, where's that in the Bible? And how did the Pope ever say that? But he says the Pope said it. And in the interview, it doesn't see the Pope denying that. But then Mr. Scalfari goes on to say, you have never spoken to me about the souls who died in sin and will go to hell to suffer for eternity. Where are they punished? Pope Francis said, they are not punished. Those who repent obtain the forgiveness of God and enter the ranks of souls who contemplate him. But those who do not repent and cannot therefore be forgiven disappear. There is no hell. There is a disappearance of sinful souls. That's a direct quote 
in the article. Now, the Catholic Church came out later and said that what was reported by the author in the article is a result of his reconstruction in which the textual words pronounced by the Pope are not quoted. No quotation marks of the aforementioned article must therefore be considered as a faithful transcript of the words of the Holy Father. But you know what? It's interesting there because I don't see them denying that the Holy Father said there is no hell. Well, you know, it's not our discussion whether we should listen to the Pope or not. But that brings up such an interesting topic because you hear so little about hell in our day and age. Here you have the Catholic Pope saying there is no hell. You have prominent Protestant leaders like Rob Bell coming out and saying that there's no eternal hell. There will be a place of punishment, but it's only temporary because eventually everyone will go to heaven. You have pastors who don't talk about hell because it's not a fun topic. By the way, you mentioned where do you go when you die. If you really want to know about hell and where you go when you die and the whole discussion, you can go to our website and click on our YouTubes. It's livingwordministry.org. And click on our YouTube and look for where do you go when you die because we have a YouTube on that. Very interesting discussion using the Bible to determine that answer. Not your opinion or mine or our religion, but the Bible. Anyway, today we're here to talk about the facts and information on hell. And I do think that it's really important to clarify that. First of all, it's a question that everybody asks at one time or another. You have atheists, you have strong believers that need to look at that question and know where they stand on that, whether they realize how important it is or not. So it's a question that many people ask. And because of that, it's important for our religious leaders to be very clear about that. So I kind of wish that the Pope had issued another statement versus a kind of a non-denial denial to be really clear about that so that there isn't wiggle room. There wasn't in the catechism. So we hope that people will go to the scriptures, which is what we intend to do today, to show them what hell is, where it is, who goes there, like you said. Many of our religions, be it Judaism, Christianity, Islam, believe in some type of an afterlife. Some people believe we just disintegrate. Uh, but they believe in an afterlife. And because of that, it's natural to assume that that afterlife is either going to be 100% good, or there's going to be some good and some bad to it. We get our answers not from a religion, not from what people think, or what leaders tell us, but from the Bible. And the Bible says that hell is a real place. Hell is mentioned 13 times in the New Testament, with Jesus mentioning it 11 times. He talks very clearly about it in Luke 12, 5, when he says, But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Well, that's very clear. Jesus is saying that God has the authority to cast into hell. 2 Peter 2, 4. This isn't Jesus speaking, but it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and then it goes on in the subsequent passages to say he's not going to spare us either. So God didn't spare angels, but instead cast them into hell when they sinned. Not just because they were sinners, because everyone sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners. We know God cannot allow sin into heaven. But fortunately, our 
penalty for sin has been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. When he died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. That's what scripture says. So even though we're sinners, that debt has been paid by Christ if we believe in Christ. But coming back to hell, we have to understand Jesus said it's a real place. The Bible says it's a real place. That is important to know that it's a real place, but the definition of that place is a little squishy with people. And I'm just looking here at the Pew Research Survey definition of hell, and it, it says, where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. What do you think about that definition? That is not a good definition, because people who have led good lives, who are good people, will go to hell if they have not believed in Jesus Christ. It's not just the bad, the murderers, the horrible people that are have done crimes and are in jail or anything that we might think of horrible people. It's not that at all. It's anyone. And it's not being about sorry for your sin either. To say I'm sorry doesn't mean anything. It's repentance that means something. The only way we will be spared from hell is if we repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with how we live our lives. It has nothing to do with being sorry. But it does have to do with eternal punishment. That's the one part of that quote that's right. It is eternal punishment. And it does have to do with putting our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he took our punishment. So here we're going to be talking about this punishment that is totally unnecessary for us to go through since Jesus already paid the price for it. So are we willing to accept it and go to heaven because we believed on that ransom sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us? Are we just going to ignore that and take our chances, think that we can take our chances in being a good person when we know you don't get to heaven by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven except the name of Jesus by which man shall be saved. Jesus is the only name. He is the only way. Believing in him, God, who saved us from our sins through his death on the cross, who was resurrected from the dead in order to conquer sin. That's the gospel message, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And that message is the truth of Jesus Christ. According to Acts chapter 2, at the very first sermon at the beginning of the church, when Peter was sharing that gospel message with everyone, it says after they heard it, people were pierced in their heart, it says in verse 37 of Acts 2. And they said, what shall we do? Peter was very clear. He simply said, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When he said that, after they had heard the gospel message, 3,000 souls were saved that day because they repented of their sins and they turned to Jesus Christ. They were baptized in recognition of their new belief in Jesus Christ and his death for their sins, and they were saved. That's what it takes to bring us to heaven. Anything other than that, no matter how good you are, will send you to eternal hell. You make the decision here on earth whom you're choosing, choosing Jesus Christ or choosing a life that you say is for him when in fact you don't have a relationship with him. That will send you into eternal damnation. The Bible says that God is unwilling for any to perish. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he paid such a price where he gave up everything, was tortured on the cross 
taking on the consequences of all of our sins that we committed. He didn't. He was perfectly innocent. So God's intent was for people to be saved and to go to heaven. Why did he create hell in the first place? It's a very good question. He didn't create hell for mankind. Remember, Adam and Eve were created perfect. It was not his desire that they sin. He wanted a perfect world with people who followed God in holiness. It tells us in Matthew 25, 41, in Jesus' own words, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So the eternal fire was designed for Satan and his angels, which are demons, who had fallen before man fell. How do we know that? Because Satan is in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, he's already fallen and he's using his lies and his half-truths to persuade Eve and ultimately Adam to sin against God. So God created hell, not for man, but for angels. That was the initial intent. But when mankind fell, when sin came into the world, there has to be a place where sinful man could go. People who were not covered by the blood of the Redeemer, people who did not believe in their saving Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who justified from their sins, there had to be a place for them. So what you're saying is God created eternal creatures. So man is an eternal creature. If he can't go to heaven, then he's got to go someplace. So that just spoke to me of there's not this disintegration that we may have spoken of in that quote attributed to the Pope, but there is a place where an eternal creature has to be if they don't go to heaven. Yes, getting back to the Pope and the Catholic Church teaches that the human soul is eternal, immortal in several places in their catechism. And we believe that also. That means that everybody is eternal. Everybody is immortal. God just doesn't say, well, so-and-so is not eternal because he sinned against me. No, no, no. Everybody will be resurrected. Everybody is eternal. Everybody will live for all eternity immortal. The difference is where we're going to live. In John 5, Verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. That means everyone who's died. And those who have died shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So everybody's going to come to life after their death. The righteous people are going to have a resurrection of life. But the evil people, the ones who aren't righteous in God's eyes, who didn't believe in Christ, are going to have a resurrection of judgment. That's very clear. Now, understand here, I don't want to take this out of context. This particular verse here does not say we're saved on our good deeds or we're going to lose our salvation because of bad deeds. That means that we are saved because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are damned forever because our names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But it's the good deeds that show our relationship to Jesus Christ or our lack of relationship thereof. They don't save us, but they show where our loyalty is. When we put faith in Jesus, our bad deeds have been judged at the cross. So we don't have to be judged for those anymore, and that's part of the great good news. And so therefore we're judged on our deeds, the ones that we did for Jesus that will remain for eternity, and the ones that we kind of did for ourselves or whatever, they get burned up. But it's not a judgment unto death and hell. Whereas if you have to stand on your own merits, you can't. Heaven requires perfection. You can't stand on your own merits. And so it's actually somewhat an issue of pride if we say, I'm good enough. I don't need Jesus' sacrifice. I'm a good enough person. I think you need to be really, really careful in doing a self-assessment before you come to that conclusion. 
that also negates what Christ did for us at the cross because it said we can pay for our sins and Christ's death is worthless. First John five 12, we're told that he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. That's very clear. Yeah. I mean, there's no way of misunderstanding that. Uh, it tells us in John three eighteen, he who believes in Christ is not judged. He who has not believed has been judged already. And that belief is that faith in Jesus as our Messiah. He's been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And then we talk about this retribution in second Thessalonians one. It's a great passage eight through 11, but I'm only going to read chapter one, verse eight. God deals out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a consequence, a retribution coming. They have to pay the price for not surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ here on earth. And by the way, there's no option after we die to change our minds because all of us would who go to hell. Everyone who would go to hell, I don't expect to be there because I have believed in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But everyone who's in hell would change their mind immediately once they experienced hell. So there's no choice. That decision has to be made here on earth after we die. It's too late. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's too late. Once people get to hell, and if you've ever read near-death experiences, it's a horrible place. Debbie, you mentioned near-death experiences, and it makes me wonder, most of the ones that I hear about, everybody sees the light, and they all go to heaven. How accurate is that? There's a wonderful book called To Hell and Back by Dr. Maurice Rawlings. It's out of print, so I'm not sure you could find it. But the stories he has in there are amazing. He was a doctor. He had the opportunity to literally watch people come back from the dead. And then he decided to do some research and talk to other people that he knew about through his practice who had had near-death experiences. What he found was that most people did see a bright light. But if you gave it time, that bright light was burned away and this atrocious hell came into being. He gives a story of a man who'd been in a bar fight and killed somebody and was actually stabbed himself. And so he's dead. He's, he's at least in a near-death experience place. And he's in this place thinking, why am I looking at this white light? Why am I going to heaven? I don't deserve it. I've never done anything right. I don't believe in God. Something's wrong here. Then he came back to life. But the fact is he knew he shouldn't have been in this white light in what was appearing to be a movement towards heaven because he didn't deserve it. So it's very much deceptive when people have these near-death experiences because it's just the beginning. It doesn't talk about the end. I think probably the most accurate depiction of hell comes from the movie Ghost, where when someone died who was a, a bad person in this particular movie, these horrible creatures that just kind of came up out of the woodwork, grabbed them screeching and yelling and pulled this person away into hell. Now, this is Hollywood and Dr. Rawlings' book are experiences. And we don't base anything on experiences or Hollywood. But I do think they probably give us a good example of the deception we tend to believe that, oh, if we're just good people, everything's going to be okay and we're going to go to heaven. When in fact, there's no truth in that at all. When we were at the Vatican and went to the Sistine Chapel, this beautiful mural behind the altar probably about a fourth of it on the bottom is all depicted to hell. 
and what the people looked like as they were being relegated to hell. And it was not a pleasant scene. Everyone who understands what hell may be like, if it's really real, and we know it is from the Bible, depicts it as a horrible, frightening experience that nobody would ever want to go through. And the Bible even tells us what kind of a horrible place it is. Well, that's the next thing I wanted to get into because I'm thinking about one of the things the Vatican said about the Pope trying to come to terms with hell and fire and brimstone is that he was looking into and exploring the imagery of fire and brimstone versus a literal interpretation of it, as I understand that quote. So is it literal? Well, I believe the whole Bible is literal. I take everything in the Bible as literal, unless, of course, it's clear that it's figurative. The book of Revelation is is kind of difficult in some places when it talks about funny little creatures and they look like locusts. And But you have to understand it uses the word like or as in many of those. So it's just John is describing something future in his best terminology. But there's places in the scripture that make it clear it's an allegory. But other than that, everything in the Bible is literal. If we don't take it literally, if it's an allegory, or if we can assume what it means, then how are we going to know what it says? Because your interpretation is going to be different than mine. Or based on your background, the Pope's interpretation is going to be different than Franklin Graham's. I mean, you know, how do we know what the Bible really says if God isn't being 100% literal to us? And quite frankly, how would an educated people understand the Bible if it wasn't to be taken literally? Well, the Bible literally says what hell will be like. It, Jesus says in Matthew 13, 41 to 43, the son of man will send forth his angels and they're going to gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So that shows us there's two different places, heaven and hell, fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth. I don't think that's just for a short period of time. I believe that's forever. In Matthew 25, just I'm going to share a couple of verses with you. Verse 41, he says to those who on the left, depart from me, accursed ones into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, I've read verse 8 before, but verse 9 says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now forget the fire and the brimstone and the gnash of teeth and everything. Eternity away from God. Eternity away from God. That's pretty mind-blowing. We might think that where is God today in our universe, but he's everywhere. We can see him in the trees. We can see him in nature. We can see him in people. We can see him through his Holy Spirit. We can see him in actions and miracles. In hell, there will be no presence of God. That means everything in hell will be awful and ugly and evil and hatred and the opposite of God because God is not there. Everything that is good, every good gift comes from God. Everything that's good in our culture and society really does come from God. We still do have some standards that people abide by. We still do have um, empathy for others and love for others and so forth. What if that was completely taken away? We can't even imagine what that would be like. That is the worst thing about hell. No God. Now, there's lots of other things I'm going to read here. I'm just going to read you an explanation of them, not the passages, because we're running out of time. But it's unquenchable fire. It's a fiery hell. It's called the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, the second death. 
Now, many people are afraid of the first death. You can imagine how awful the second death is going to be. The first death is physical, but we go on to live for eternity. The second death is spiritual, which means it's going to be horrible forever and ever. It's a black darkness that's been reserved for the evil people. Hell is going to be a terrible place where people are tormented day and night forever and ever. So hell is not going to be a place where we go have uh, beers all night with our buddies and shoot pool and do what we want to do. It's going to be a horrible place, worse than anything, any hell on earth that we could ever have imagined. And I think about, you know, whether you want to take this literally or not, whatever your philosophy is about it, even if it's imagery, these are terrible, terrible images. There are definite warnings to not go there. And not only that, but people are going to exist there forever, just like we're going to be in heaven forever. Some say eventually God's going to bring everyone to heaven. Well, this Bible does not balance that thought. It doesn't share that with us anywhere. These are eternal decisions that are made by people on this earth. And once they go there, there's never any getting out of heaven or hell. Of course, we don't want to get out of heaven. Some say it's temporary like purgatory, where works can get you out of heaven. No, the eternal hell, Gehenna in the Bible, eternal hell, there is no getting out of. So we don't want to confuse that. Someday we'll explain purgatory, but for now understand, there is no temporary place in eternal hell. It is forever and ever. Second Thessalonians calls it that. Matthew, we read, calls it that. Now we understand all people are going to be resurrected, so they're either going to be resurrected to life or eternal death. You see, God is a righteous judge. He cannot let sin into heaven. So even though you say, well, maybe somebody can pray me out of heaven or work me out of heaven or pay me out of heaven, that is not possible. Ecclesiastes 3.17 says, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. In Psalm 711, we're told God is a righteous judge. If a man does not repent, in verse 12, we're told God will sharpen his sword. He will bend his bow and make it ready. And finally, in Romans 3, 5, and 6, says the God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? God is our judge. He will judge us based on whether or not we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the final judgment of those people who have not believed in Jesus Christ can be seen in the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. What it says here in verse 12 is that I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And then it says in verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So everyone here, specifically talking about unbelievers, will stand before the great white throne judgment. And they will be judged on their deeds, but they're relegated to eternal hell because their name isn't written in the Lamb's book of life. They have not committed their life to the Lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Today, we need to ask ourselves, have we surrendered to Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of our lives? Do we believe that he's our Savior who saved us from our sins, who was resurrected from the dead? 
Have we committed to him and are we living for him? If the answer is yes, 1 John 5, 12 tells us, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You are going to heaven. If you have not done that, you will go to hell. It's your choice. The decision has to be made here. There is no intermediate place. There's no gray area. It's black or white, heaven or hell. You choose today. As for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.